time to talk a little sports. On sports, yes, the Ozone. That's where we are. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Talking sports. I think we mentioned that. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. Turning scrap metal into cash. All right. Ronnie O in studio. Coach Joe on his way. He's with us via the miracle of telephone. So, Ronnie O here in studio. And uh, I tell you what, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, this Saturday. The Florida Gators are going to travel to the University of Kentucky in Lexington. Four o'clock tip-off, 3.30 pregame. You can hear that on WONN 107.1 FM or 12.30 AM. Then next Tuesday, the Gators will travel to College Station, Texas, to take on the Texas A&M Aggies. 7 p.m. tip-off, 6.30 pregame. Well, Coach Joe, you know, I heard an interesting thing the other day, and I thought we'd discuss that a little bit here in the first segment. And it was they were talking about Lynn Bias and, you know, his untimely death of a drug overdose right after the Celtics had chosen him in the first round back in 1986. But there were some other guys that died way too young before they had a chance to play professional sports. And one of them was Niall Kinnick that Iowa's football stadium is named after. He was the 1939 Heisman Trophy winner, and he died. um, He was a naval aviator in training for World War II, and uh, his plane was leaking oil, and he got back to the carrier, but the deck was full of other planes that had landed, so he had to crash land it, and he drowned before they could pick him up in 1943. Back then, he probably would have been the first pick in the NFL draft. Um, Brandon Burlesworth, the um, offensive lineman from Arkansas that became an All-American after he walked on there, was a third-round pick of the Colts. He passed away in an auto accident. And also, Ernie Davis. In 1961, he was the Heisman Trophy winner, and he contracted leukemia and passed away after he was the very first overall pick in the NFL draft by the Washington Redskins. Can you think of anybody else? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary uh, this year, later this year, of the death of Roberto Clemente, uh, who uh, was in in his prime and had just gotten his 3,000th hit when he uh, died in a plane crash on New Year's Eve in 1972 uh, while bringing earthquake relief supplies to uh, Nicaragua. And uh, speaking of car accidents, you mentioned earlier, car accident uh, was a car accident that claimed the life of Jerome Brown. Maybe of all those great defensive uh, tackles that you, University of Miami, produced during the 80s and 90s, he might have been the best of them all. You know, even better than Warren Sapp, Jerome Brown, uh, he, he was an exceptional talent. And he died way too soon. Of course, he was with the he had been drafted by the Eagles and was well on his way to uh, a great NFL career when he died. Same thing happened to another great defensive player who, who died as a result of a car accident, and that's of course, is uh, Derek uh, uh, from the uh, Chiefs. Oh, wow, I just drew, drew a blank on his name. The, uh, oh, the yeah, Chiefs, yeah, great, the uh, guy from player. Alabama. <clears throat> yeah, uh, uh, and uh, it'll come back to me. Maybe somebody can call, give us a call, 682-1430, and refresh my memory. <laughs> but, uh, he was, he was a tremendous player, also died in a car accident. The Dolphins lost a couple of players at a young age in the early 80s 
uh, David Overstreet to a car accident, who's a very promising running back out of Oklahoma, and Larry Gordon, a great linebacker. He uh, had a heart problem that Derek nobody Thomas. knew about. And, uh, Derek Thomas, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was he was a spectacular talent uh, for Kansas City out of the University of Alabama. And Larry Gordon, uh, a great Dolphins linebacker, he died uh, when his heart uh, gave out as he was jogging. Uh, he had a, uh, a heart defect that no one knew about. Those all come to mind. And Hank Gathers, of course, uh, from Loyola Marymount. Uh, nobody's ever going to forget what happened to him in the early 90s. Uh, you know, he, he collapsed on the court and died. Uh, and, Joe uh, Delaney. Um a running oh, back yeah. for the Chiefs that died oh, while he was yeah, attempting was really- to save someone from drowning. He couldn't swim, and he still jumped in to try to save. I think it was a child, if I remember right, that he jumped yeah. in to try to save. Um, but, um, yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of athletes that passed away. Um, James McGriff, you might remember him, Florida Gator, <clears throat> from over in um, Palm Bay. He had signed with the Gators, and they were really – thinking he was going to be a great player for him, and he drowned while swimming. And then Aros Autan, uh, Gators fullback, that passed away from heat exhaustion while he was training with the Gators. Yeah, there's a, so, so many like that for uh, for one reason or another. Uh, they, they've got, you know, sometimes it's a hidden health problem. Sometimes it's uh, some uh, safety issue or, or like, like you said, with Joe Delaney, they go out uh, being a hero. And, of course, Pat Tillman, who died too soon when he went and decided to give up his NFL career and go fight over in Afghanistan. And uh, he ended up giving his life for this country. So, you know, so many, you don't, don't want to leave him out of any discussion about athletes who went too soon. Uh, you're exactly right. He <clears throat> was a real hero, you know, foregoing. He had a, a multi-million dollar contract that he could have signed, and he didn't do it. And uh, I don't know if you you probably before your time, but Chuck Hughes, a wide receiver for the Lions, that um, died on the field um, back in 1971. And, um, you know, that that was a a horrible thing. But, um, again, I think he had some sort of health problems. Well, Coach Joe, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we're going to be back, and we're going to have Jack Youngblood former NFL Holler Flamer and uh, Florida Gator Ring of Honor man. So you need to give us a call, 682-1430. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Hi, this is Frank Viola, 87 World Series MVP and 88 American League Cy Young Award winner, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Right here on Talk Radio 96.7, the Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. And with us on the telephone from Los Angeles, side of the Super Bowl, is former Los Angeles Ram, NFL Hall of Famer, the very first Florida Gator to go into the Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor winner, my good friend, and an ATO brother from the University of Florida, Jack Youngblood. Jack, welcome to the Ozone. Boys, I'm gonna tell you something. I, now I know why we why I left LA. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious alive. <laughs> it, it has increased here. It seems to me like you know, we could we could usually go places in, in twenty five, thirty minutes. 
right now, it t- it takes us two and a half hours to go someplace. Oh my goodness, my goodness! <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> well, Jack, I assume you're going to go to the Super Bowl on Sunday, and uh, we'd yeah, like we to go. get your prediction on it. Well, two things. One, one. I just hope that uh, that that coach does not let the, the let the pedal up for one heartbeat. He's got to he's got to keep it mashed down the whole game. And you know because they that's it seems to me like that's what happened to them when they lost ball games. They would they would they would start off fine, and then and then you know the other team would you know get a get an interception or a fumble, and and, and we would that would enhance them, and the Rams would wouldn't come back wouldn't wouldn't get back into the game there. So I think that's that's the major thing. That, that I'm looking for is that I hope that uh, that McVay has got one heck of a of a game plan. Well, it seems like the addition of Stafford has really helped them. They made some other additions too with Von Miller and uh, to go with Aaron Donald. And uh, you played with a pretty good defensive end, some guy named Deacon Jones, who was another Florida guy. Um, <clears throat> uh, talk a little bit about Deacon Jones and what he. You played behind him, as I recall, as a rookie. What did he teach you that helped you later in your career? He taught me just about everything that Merlin didn't teach me years, you know, as, as the years moved along. Deke got hurt and uh, injured an ankle, and they traded him, and he, got a, he, he went to San Diego. Uh, but I give him credit. Or teaching this country boy who hadn't been across the <laughs> Mississippi, <laughs> teach him, teach him how to how to play defensive end, <laughs> and, and he did exactly that. I, I can remember in the in, in the first the first month of our you know in training camp, I can remember that both of them, Deacon and Merlin, sometime during that that, that first month, they both came up to me. Put their arm around my shoulder pads and said, "Son, we can teach you how to play, but you got to listen to us." And I said, "Well, I'm all ears." <laughs> <laughs> oh me, Jack, I'm all ears. A game that uh, sticks out in my mind when you played for the Gators was the 1970 Georgia game. Georgia was leading by seven. They drive down to Florida's one yard line and they hand the ball to a running back. Do you remember what happened after that? They, they, they thought that they were going to run over me. I said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen here. <laughs> so I, I stand him up. I, 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 I have that in, in dreams. I stand him up, and he's got the ball on his belly, and I just took it away from him. <laughs> uh, and it turned that game the, around, didn't it? It, it turned the game around, you know. We get we, we I didn't get I didn't get a run with it, but but you know we we got the ball back and we took it down the field. You know, another game, an NFL game that sticks out. I'm sure you'll remember this against a guy named Dan Deerdorf, who was one of the best tackles that ever played the game. And uh, you're playing against him, and uh, you you got an interception against him, and uh, took it all the way back. Was that your only NFL touchdown? No, I I had I had three, four. 
I think well, I know I had three, but yeah, you know, and Dan, Dan is a good friend of mine to this day, <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't understand how we can be friends because I used to kick his fanny. Like, <laughs> amazing it's different courses for different horses isn't it you know one guy you don't have success against and then a guy of his magnitude you do yeah and i uh that that that, that play you were talking about i had I, i'd come around him and jim jim hart didn't didn't throw it high enough and i tipped it and i then it dropped right back in my hands and i thought to myself i honestly i thought to myself if Dan Deardorff catches me, I will never be able to live that down. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was running like a maniac. <laughs> Our guest tonight, Jack Youngblood, the great Jack Youngblood, joining us here to talk about the Rams and the Super Bowl, 682-1430. It's 682-1430. got to call us in, and we'll, we'll get ready for the big game on Sunday. Uh, you know, you were mentioning Deacon Jones earlier, Jack. Uh, the fearsome foursome, uh, Jones and Merlin Olson and Rosie Greer and Lamar Lundy. How would you uh, rate them versus the great defensive line the Rams have today? Well, we got, we, we, we've got we got a, uh, uh, a gold jacket one, there's for sure, in Donald. I mean, yeah, that, he's amazing. That boy, <laughs> that boy makes people look foolish. I mean, they, they, they literally... <laughs> They literally try to block him, and then they and he gets around them, and they turn around and go, "Where'd he go? <laughs> where, where in the world did he go?" And it, he is double teamed every snap. I don't care what's the what's the distance, what down it is. He he gets, and that's the reason they move him around. Uh, you know the the, the the offensive line. It is to try and. And get him not to be a, to to be ready for what he's going to do, and and, and cause some problem there. But uh, yeah, he he can play on my team anytime. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. Von Miller's pretty good from the outside too, isn't he? And Von is, Von is. I mean, they you got to like the fact that they have, they have, they're not trying to, to to be cheap, and they 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 put out the the money that these players deserve at a time that it, 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 you need all of the assets that you possibly can to win this thing. And I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, my hat's off to, to uh, uh, the owner, you know, and, and, and saying, yeah, build the team, build that team. They have done a great job. Jack, we've got Lou on the line that has a question for you. Lou, go ahead. You're on with Jack Youngblood. Hey, yeah, Jack, my question to you is, uh, if I remember correctly, Deacon Jones was famous for his head slap, and and you guys had a lot more liberties back then than the guys do today. Uh, Did did he teach you that head slap? Absolutely. (laughs) And then then they outlawed it (laughs) and would would put you in jail down there. I mean... (laughs) Are they? Are they, in today's world they would just cancel it, you know? <laughs> no, that, that was that was a heck of a it was a heck of a move, 
and see, people don't understand. Yeah, you, when you say head slap, you think of danger and terror and 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 and, and, and hurt, you know, uh, injury. But it's not, that wasn't what it was about. It was to make them turn their head so that they didn't know where you were. Don't look at uh. me anymore. I'm over, I just want to <laughs> tap you on the, on the ear <laughs> and go around you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Jack, uh, uh, the reason I think the Rams are going to win is uh, from that Tennessee game against the Bengals where they sacked Joe Burrow nine times, and uh, I believe the Rams' defensive line is even is even better. Uh, but uh, but I'm going to ask you about Cincinnati's defense and how they stopped Patrick Mahomes. Uh, do you think they'll try a similar tactic against, uh, against the Rams' offense, you know, dropping guys back, trying to just uh, – to, to uh, take away the short stuff and, and dare him to throw long? Yeah. They, Mahomes, you know, is, is, is a different deal. Absolutely. That, that is one heck of an athlete. And, and I just expected him. I watched that. and I expected him just to bring him back and, and, and put up, you know, six points you know, at the end of the, of the day. And so, but going against a quarterback who stays in the pocket, you know, isn't as as athletic. I mean, he's a hell of, hell of an athlete. There's no question about that. But Mahomes is, is is in a different category altogether. Jack, and, I'm, not, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I I think I think that uh, that that Stafford Stafford is going to, to he he's got he's got such good receivers around him now. I mean, he can get the ball to him and. I just hope that the coach, you know, the game plan is 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 solid. Jack, do you way. see any similarities between Vince Ferragamo that took your team to the Super Bowl versus Stafford? No, Vinny was an was an Italian, and, <laughs> <laughs> and he was a little bit hard to communicate with. Oh man! Uh, what do you and remember then, from that Super the other Bowl? Side, the other side of that is that he he went he he started in in Nebraska, and and then wound up in in uh, in, in, in Sanford. So what does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> what, what sticks out in your mind from that Super Bowl that you played in against uh, Terry Bradshaw and the Steelers? Well. One nightmare uh, to to one of the uh, one of the one of the best athletes and one of the best human beings that I know of and that I played with in those in those fourteen years was Nolan Cromwell. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And Nolan Nolan literally was he was the best athlete that I played with and. We had them. We had them back on the, the, the ten to ten to twelve yard line. Terry Terry steps back. I get, I get close to him. You know, it, it was hard for me to plant and move because of that that broken fibula. And um, <laughs> and he threw the ball and he was throwing it to to Franco. Nolan Nolan had crept down in. And, and had snuck underneath Franco. I turned and looked, and he had he he had his hands on the ball, 
and then he dropped it. Oh. And that would have put us up by by nine at that point. <laughs> and, and he he and I we were we were together not not too long ago, and uh, we we both. We both cried about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Some memories are better than others, right, Jack? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, so you have a good seat, I hope, and uh, and we're we're wishing the best for the Rams. Uh, if the Rams win, will you join us next week? Yeah, absolutely. You the man, right. <laughs> Jack. Have a safe trip, and uh, as always, we appreciate it. And uh, go Gators, go Rams this week, and uh, thank you for your time. There you go. Thanks, Thank Jack. You, boys. All Appreciate right, it. Jack Youngblood, one of the all-time greats. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. We're going to have Kim Commando. We'll come back. <clears throat> we'll have Holly Kane talking NASCAR. <clears throat> yeah, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone, like right now. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. And with us on the phone is NASCAR writer extraordinaire Holly Kane. Holly, welcome back to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Hello, thanks for having me. Excited to be back. Oh, oh I got yeah. a big old smile on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> uh, well, Holly, the Bush Clash for the first time ever was in the LA Coliseum, and, uh, and uh, how were the TV ratings? Uh, it looked like the crowd was kind of sparse. Um, I saw one estimate of 25,000. What was your uh, well, estimate? I, I actually, I, I saw estimates closer to 50,000. And I really think, depending on how the camera showed, you could see that place filled up. Now, keep in mind, it was a California crowd. So they may have showed up a little later than what we normally would. But uh, I think the, the crowd estimates were closer to 50,000. And, and really, NASCAR was absolutely excited to have those people there and, and one of the most interesting parts is most of those tickets were sold to people that weren't necessarily huge nascar fans before but judging what i saw on twitter and social media might have left that race as much bigger nascar fans you know holly we've been talking nascar with you for years and i don't think we ever talked about the prospect of ice cube performing at halftime of the nascar <laughs> race at the la coliseum i mean none of that even makes sense ronnie's probably thinking i'm crazy eric's thinking i'm crazy how did that uh, that's uh, amazing that for the growth of the sport and it was you know it was spectacular i thought well not only did he perform but i've been on twitter quite a bit today and he's still talking about it on social media so <laughs> I think that shows a lot. It, it really was NASCAR going out on a limb and saying, let's try something different. Let's have a, you know, a different, I mean, they actually had a halftime show. That's, you know, that doesn't happen in racing. <laughs> they don't stop a race in the middle to have a halftime show, but <laughs> in this case they could because it was an exhibition race and it was very well received. And to be honest with you, I thought the race was very good, and I didn't know what to expect. I mean, they basically, well, they didn't basically, they did build a quarter-mile, you know, track in the middle of the L.A. Coliseum, and they made it work. It really was amazing. You know, a quarter-mile track, if you watch a look at the Olympics, that's basically a quarter-mile track, um, and it looks big when there's runners on it, but a quarter-mile track for for uh, NASCAR competition is tiny. And I mean, the turns are so tight. There's no way to even do pit stops, which is why I guess a halftime made sense. You stop and let everybody uh, right. redo it. And, and then uh, when there were cautions, uh, the caution laps didn't count. 
because the laps are so short. Uh, th- th- it reminds me of like a Saturday night at Auburndale or something, that, that short track, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It really does. And, you know, some of the very reasons people like going out to the short tracks, they incorporated. And, and really, most of the drivers, all of the drivers, came up racing on short tracks. So to a certain extent, this was kind of a flashback for all of them. But it worked out well in all of the shots of the crowd that I saw. You know, people were dancing. A lot of them had NASCAR merch on, you know, merchandise. And and it was interesting to me to see who the different drivers were that were real popular, who who got cheers, who didn't necessarily get cheers. So I think it was what they would consider a great experiment. And I would not be at all surprised to see it happen again next year. Holly, the Super Bowl for NASCAR is coming up at Daytona February 21st, and the new next-gen car is going to be tested out. Not tested, but it'll be out there. What are the differences in the next-gen car from last year? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Ron and I were doing, you know, <laughs> rock, paper, scissors to see who got to ask. <laughs> well, the, the truth is it's pretty much a complete new look. The cars are going to look differently. The numbers, which is something that even a casual fan is going to notice, are are different. They're moved up. They're not square in the middle of the door. Um, the rearview mirror has a camera showing what's going on behind them. And, of course, there are a lot of technical differences. Another thing that will be very obvious to people is instead of having all the lug nuts, they just have one, uh, they, they have one in the middle that, that they – change the tires with so that's going to look a lot different and and frankly it's going to change up the the pit stops so i i mean there's a lot of different things about the car uh, you know from the horsepower it's going to have 670 horsepower at, at most of the tracks um it's it's really people are super excited about this and the drivers are as well as the fans and i think people weren't sure what to expect but last week was a good example. The testing, there's been a lot of testing of this car, and the drivers feel pretty comfortable with it. So I think that's all very good. Holly, speaking of questions that you know are coming, (laughs) 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 hey, he he won on a short track in a football stadium. He won on the dirt in Bristol. He's won a Cup Series. He's won a Daytona 500. He starred in a Sharknado movie. Is there anything that Joey Logano can't do? I would imagine your answer to that is no. uh, You know, one of the best parts of that story to me is I don't think anyone expected Joey Logano to win on the dirt track last year. And I don't know that they necessarily expected him to win this weekend at the quarter mile track in Los Angeles. So I think Joey is uh, really showing that he's got something and don't ever count against him. And, you know, with Brad Keselowski leaving as his teammate at Penske Racing and two rookies coming in, he really is kind of the the top dog on the team and I believe takes on a new role. He's really going to be a big-time leader on that team. So I think this is a a big year for Joey Logano. 
It's already not gotten off to a great start, not just because of the win uh, on Sunday, but then a new baby on Monday, I believe, or Tuesday. So Exactly. <laughs> a big week for Joey. So send him the Ozone's best, obviously, uh, <laughs> on that. I will. I will do that. I will see him next week, so I will let him know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, next week you know, we get into the Daytona. That's why we're happy you're able to join us this week uh, because I know you'll be busy next Thursday. Uh, tell us a little bit about the schedule coming up. This is going to be different, and because it's a new car, there are a lot more practice sessions scheduled this week. But what is really going to be different is, so Wednesday, I'm going, they have, the drivers are going to be interviewed all day long for all of the news outlets. So we're basically going to spend seven hours interviewing every single driver, and you know they love that. (laughs) No, they don't. And then later that night, (laughs) They are going to qualify for the Daytona 500 and set the front row for the Daytona 500. That'll be done on Wednesday night. Thursday are the dual races where we see who races into the field. And this year, I have to tell you, there are quite a few drivers really needing to race their way in. One person I'm really watching is Jacques Villeneuve, who is a former Formula One champion, a former Indy 500 champion. And I think it would be absolutely amazing and kind of a throwback to when we had those guys that, you know, raced in all the different kinds of racing. So I'm really excited to see Jacques, uh, see if he can race his way into the Daytona 500 this year. You know, Holly, I'm really old. And back (laughs) the first Daytona 500 I went to was A.J. Foyt, Mario Andretti were two of the drivers back then. It was was still on the beach then, wasn't it? <laughs> but that's the but those are some great times, and you know every time that you talk to Mario or AJ, they still talk about it. I spent some time with Mario uh, at the Rolex Twenty Four at Daytona, at the sports car race a couple weeks ago, and that's what he you know he he still has so much pride in winning the Daytona Five Hundred, and AJ does as well. Well, Junior Johnson was not a car owner, but he was actually a driver back then. When uh, he was one of the guys that I rooted for, uh, one yeah, of the he things, did it all. Oh, he did, <laughs> he did. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was former Florida Gator and NFL Hall of Famer Emmett Smith is part owner of an Xfinity Series car. What do you know about that team? Yeah, that is another really exciting story. He is part owner with Jesse Aluji, who is a uh, a Navy, a former Navy. I believe he went to the Naval Academy even. And Jesse's going to do the full year in the Xfinity Series, and Emmett is going to be the car owner with him. So there is a lot of buzz about that, a lot of excitement. We know Emmett Smith wins. He likes to win. And they are very serious about this. So it's going to be great seeing him around the track. I used to work at the Dallas newspaper, the Dallas Morning News, and I'm telling you, Emmett would always be around Texas Motor Speedway. So this isn't some new thing he's just doing. He, he really is a, a, a big racing fan. The success, and I believe it was a success in, in L.A. last week. Holly, do you see NASCAR beginning to regain a lot of the mojo it had 15 years ago? I do, and, and I feel like there's a real good reason for that, and that is that the leadership at NASCAR is less afraid of taking chances. I've covered the sport for a little over 30 years, and in the very beginning— you know, it was kind of you knew what you were going to get, and and that was fine. That was that was good for people. And now we have you know the third and fourth generation of the France family that is having so much input. Ben Kennedy, 
who is a 29-year-old. He is the son of Lisa France Kennedy. He's the grandson of Bill France Jr. And he, you know, has some great ideas. He's really moved up the ranks. And, and people are saying, why not? And that's kind of a phrase that wasn't associated with NASCAR for many years. And now it is. Why not? Let's try it. They did that last week, and it worked out great. And I think we're going to see that. We have the schedule as a, you know, is markedly different than it was five years ago, three years ago even, with all the road course races and racing on dirt and doing things like that. So I feel like this sport is really you know, on the upward trajectory and uh, really a lot of great things. It's exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to be involved in it and have the chance to cover it. And, and we're really glad that you're able to cover it and, and, and talk with us about it because you really I, I do such a great job. And it makes NASCAR so exciting, especially this time of year. It's interesting with the Super Bowl being so late now. It's, it's sort of almost uh, the Super Bowl is going to be this Sunday. And then the following Sunday is Daytona, back to back like that. Um, and But uh, uh, are they going back to Los Angeles, you think, next year? I think they do. I think they do. I think we'll see them back out there. And what will be interesting is what the fandom is made up for next year. You know, is it a whole lot of the people that went the first time and came? Is it, you know, have they become legitimate hardcore fans by November of this year? So I think they will go back next year. I, I don't know that, but that's my gut thought. Yeah, maybe maybe someday they'll have one of those in the swamp or right around the same time as Gator Nationals. That would actually be kind of cool. <laughs> that Holly, would be something. <laughs> Holly, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great time in Daytona. We'll look forward to talking to you, uh, you know, soon and and finding out uh, how things are going in NASCAR and and uh, track Joey Logano's certain NASCAR <laughs> Series Cup win this year. That's my prediction. But I'm biased. I will, let him, I will put the pressure on him. I will tell him that you're calling him out for it. And my best to Alex. Thank you guys for having me on. And our best to Sid uh, as well, uh, as well, Holly. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. We really appreciate it. You take care. We'll talk to you soon. All the best. Thanks. All right. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone will be back in just a minute. And we'll have that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Robert Wall from HBO's Harless and 60 Minutes Sports, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7. Let's do it, Ronnie O. All right. Coach Joe and I, we know that you're out there. We can hear your stomachs growling. We know you're hungry. You're thirsty. You want that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. Well, you're going to get a chance. If you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Here's the question. It's easy. It's a softball. It's a hanging curveball. What NFL team lost four straight Super Bowls? 682-1430. That's all you got to do is tell us the answer to that. And you will have the $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. As you know, they're located at 5650 South Florida Avenue. They have their 40 strategically located television sets. They're warmed up. They're waiting for you to come out there, and you can eat and drink a lot every night of the week because they have drink and meal specials every night of the week. And Coach Joe and I go out there frequently. Oh, we sure do. And uh, I'll be stopping by there at some point this weekend. What I often like to do on Super Bowl Sunday is I don't necessarily 
uh, watch the game at Ale House, but I do get their wings, usually bring them home or, or to wherever, because they are amazing. And uh, that, that is a real great treat, especially when you're watching the big game on, uh, oh, yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt, man. I tell you what. <clears throat> well, you know, on this date back in 1961, the AFL's L.A. Chargers moved to San Diego. And eventually they moved back to Los Angeles. <laughs> and in 1969, Pete Maravich for the Bayou Bengals scored 66 points. That's with no three-point line. But they lost to Tulane yeah. 101 And no shot clock either. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's you know, absolutely incredible what P- Pistol Pete Maravich said. Oh, it really is. <laughs> well, we got somebody that's hungry and thirsty on the line. Who, Bob, how are you tonight? I'm good. You're I'm good? good? Thank you. You're good and hungry, Bob? <laughs> I'm sorry? You're good and hungry, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I just went out to get something to eat to bring home, and I haven't put it the egg rolls, and I got up. <laughs> I'm about ready to put them in. Put them in a microwave and yeah. eat something. Yeah, oh. I love those. Those those are so good, especially when you're hungry. You take a bite out of one of those things. Mm, good stuff. Bob, what NFL team lost four straight Super Bowls? Well, I have to say the Buffalo Bills. I have to say you're right. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. In, uh, They're never given enough credit for being some, doing something special. They're always looked at as losing four in a row. But, hey, that was an achievement in and of itself. It's a shame that they got to put up with that stigma. I believe they were the only team to make it to four Super Bowls in a row. Correct. Yeah. If Scott Norwood hadn't missed that field goal in Tampa Stadium, they would have won that first one. And, you know, it seems to me I can't remember exactly. Something happened. They got to delay a game. They didn't call a timeout or something. And it pushed them back five yards. Do you remember, Joe, what what happened? It seems uh, like there was a penalty involved there somewhere. I, I, no, I don't think it was a penalty per se, but uh, uh, for something happened that resulted in a play where they would have been closer, not counting. And then I think the last play before the field goal try uh, was Thurman Thomas uh, getting to around the 30-yard line, which would have left him about a 47-yard try. Uh, and they may they they were running the clock down, and, and some people thought maybe you know as quick as they moved the ball, they maybe should have tried to get a little little closer once they got within field goal range, because Norwood's kick didn't miss by much. And you think if he was closer, he probably would have nailed it, because uh, you know Scott Norwood was was money back back then. He was never the same after he missed, uh, and he was out of the league, you know, a couple a couple three years after that. Uh, you know, that's a, it's a tough way to go for, for a kicker. Uh, but not really his fault. The ball just went a little bit wide right. Yeah. They, you like Buffalo Bob? Buffalo Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did I did this year. I did. Oh, I, they're fun I'm to watch, aren't fan. they? I'm a Steeler fan, but I, I really like Buffalo this year. Man, I'm telling you, and that Josh Allen, he adds another dimension to the offense, you know, you really need a quarterback like that. That separates the teams nowadays. He's so good. You know, what's what's amazing is not just his throwing, but his running. And he's not yeah. a, a scrambler per se. He's just you can't bring him down. He's too big and strong. He runs right over you. <laughs> yeah, they're just, in fact they have designed plays for him to run, not just scramble for him him to run the ball. It's kind of like uh, he, he's, a, he's a quick version of Ben Roethlisberger, who, who was too big to bring down as well. You just can't sack Josh Allen. <laughs> yeah, he's big. I, 
we don't realize how big he is because everyone else is so big. But he's a big, what is he, 6'4", something like that? Oh, yeah, man. I think so. Super well, strong, too. Bob, hang on the line, and uh, Eric okay. will get your information. Be careful he'll get your wallet, too, if you're not careful. Don't, hey, don't put that. your wallet near the phone. <laughs> and uh, don't ask him to go out there and eat with you, or you won't get anything to eat. Cut it out, Ronnie. Yeah, you know, you know Ronnie, the, Jack Youngblood is talking about how they outlawed the fa- the head slap. You know, well, They did in the NFL, but uh, Eric still uses it on us That's every right. week. That's <laughs> so he, right. He's going to use it again after the show, too. Gonna... <laughs> uh, yeah, Eric is brutal. You know, he just, The man eats like a steam shovel, and his head slap is legendary but we'll be back next week we'll be talking about the super bowl the winner and everything about it